The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joni. We're recording. Little glitch. Just we're a little. Fi- we're fine. This is episode number 15. Which is incredible. Yes. That we've been doing it as long as we've been doing it. For 15 weeks. That's almost four months. And how many downloads? We've had over 1,500 downloads. That's amazing. Which is, which is really good. I want to go for 10 times that because... When we're talking about drug addiction, we're talking about way more than 1,500. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I said this earlier. There's probably more than 1,500 drug addicts in, you know, a certain circumference around where we are now. And not a really large circumference. Like, right. It makes me want to go out and knock on doors and say, are you a drug addict? Is there a drug addict in the house? Because, you know, it really almost is that common. It is. See, the thing about today in our society today is that it's not uncommon for someone to be a drug addict right back in the day the drug addicts were like the people that were seen from inner city families or impoverished families and things like that like those were the people that were affected by drug addiction but that's not the case today that's right because you know i always call it the perfect storm the perfect storm happened in the late 90s that created this insane opiate epidemic that we're seeing today and Addiction has become so common that it's not it's it's not like one of those like shameful push under the rug things anymore because it's happening so much that it's almost been it's almost like integrated itself as a part of our society is that there's a large number of people that are becoming addicted to drugs. Now it was that long ago? It was in the nineties that the opioid epidemic started? Yeah, well, I think it was nineteen ninety six is when Oxycontin hit the market. Oh okay? that's right. So nineteen ninety six, uh Purdue Pharma uh, got FDA approval for Oxycontin. And so Oxycontin was created. And then as the years went on, the the uh, pharmaceutical reps really pushed on doctors to to um, to prescribe it and to give right. it out and to give it for this and give it for that. And then all of a sudden, prescribing guidelines loosened a lot. And doctors just started giving it, you know, oh, you have a broken arm. Here's Oxycontin. It's like, okay, that's a little bit overkill. And, and that toothache. Or a toothache. I remember a doctor talking to a doctor one time, and she said, you know, nowadays dentists are prescribing Oxycontin for a toothache. And she said, that's just way overkill. Oxycontin was originally developed for people who were dying of cancer. Correct. Wasn't it? That was Its, it's original indication was for terminal illness. That's, ex- that's extreme pain, okay? That's not, oh, I hurt my arm or even sprained my ankle for that matter. Right. And so the, the prescribing guidelines got totally loose and totally lax and doctors are giving it and dentists are giving it for everything. Right. And so the pill mills opened and people got hooked on the drugs and then, you know, the pill mills got shut down. The pills became harder to find and we had a whole new generation of heroin addicts. Right. Uh, and so like that's, that's the perfect storm that I talk about that created the insane epidemic we have today. And so that's why in our society, it's not uncommon for a family to have an addict amongst them. Right. It's not this like, oh my God, how did this happen? The kind of thing. It's like, well, okay, well, it makes sense considering what's going on in the world today. And um, yeah, it's not just the guy down in the downtown sitting by the side of the building. Right. Up. It's the kid down the street in the very expensive high end suburbs, mm-hmm. you know, raiding the medicine cabinet of his parents. I mean, that was friends. that was me. Right. That was me. I grew up in a, a really nice affluent area in a well-to-do family and raised with all the right ethics and morals, and I still became a drug addict. Right. And so there's no one that's really immune to it. And so we're at the point where 
it's just an, there's an unbelievable amount of people addicted to opiates. Yeah. And, you know, opiates gets all the publicity. I also like to say, for those of you who are listening and are not aware of this, but there is a budding methamphetamine epidemic happening. And we talked about this a few episodes yes. ago. Yeah. Is that, yeah, I mean, opiates get a ton of attention because it's like the, it's the fentanyl and that are killing people. And it's the heroin that's killing people. And there's, you know, mass, mass casualty events over here where, you know, you had 30 overdoses in, in, this, in, you know, an hour. And you've got all these things happening. They get tons of media attention. But what people have to also realize is that there is a budding meth epidemic Right. It's currently underway, right. and we need to start paying attention to that and realizing that the epidemic of, of drug abuse is not relegated to just solely opiates. Like opiates is, is not going to always be the only problem, right. and so meth is starting to make a huge comeback. And we talked about that, and you know it's gotten to the point where like a very large percentage of the people that come into Narcanon who are on opiates are also on meth mm-hmm. because they take one to go up and one to come down, right? And so it's a uh, it's a terrible combination, but I want to make the public that is listening to us aware that it is more than just opiates at this point. Right. But like I said, opiates gets all the attention and all the media love, which is like insane because, because of a lot of the deaths, all the deaths. I mean, people die all the time and it seems to be that people will go to very extreme lengths and measures to get their opiates because the withdrawal is so bad. Right. I mean, I, to describe opiate withdrawal, you'd almost have to say, like, imagine the worst flu you ever had and multiply that about by about 20 or 30, and that's opiate withdrawal. It's disgusting. It's that, ter- That's awful. Yeah. Just the flu is so horrendous when you have the fever and everything else going on, and I, I, I just can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, you've got the fever, the chills, the vomiting, the nausea, the diarrhea, the insane cravings, the cold sweats, the kicking legs. And pain. Physical pain. Physical pain. And emotional pain. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. A lot of opiate addicts like opiates because it numbs out emotional pain. Right. It's not always purely the physical thing. Right. There's a lot of emotional pain that people deal with. Yeah. And some people's way of dealing with it is continuing to take opiates after they've taken it and found out, oh, it it, it makes this feel okay. And it makes me able to deal with this. And uh, the fact that... Uh, you know, my parents are really mean to me and, you know, really break me down on a daily basis. It kind of goes away and it's like... It numbs everything. It numbs everything. So I'm good. Everything, everything. And so people will go to extreme measures to get the drug to satisfy the cravings, to handle the physical and emotional pain and to not go through withdrawal. And recently, I came across a news article that absolutely blew my mind. And it was that and I wrote a blog about it, is that veterinarians are some of the most unlikely professionals to have found themselves smack in the middle of the opiate problem. I read your blog. It, it disgusted me. Yeah. It, go ahead. Tell the story. Tell what's in the blog. Because it's, you know, anybody out there that's an animal lover, I'm going to give you a warning right now. You know, like they do like this content may contain, you know, when you watch TV and it goes, this content may contain images not suitable for young children. If you're an animal lover... This is going to make you really sad and make you really upset, but you need to hear this. Tell the story. So, uh, it's it's hard to even think about. A lot of addicts out there, just like other people, own pets. The, one of the things I hate the most is when I used to walk around in New York City or even in San Francisco when I lived out there, mm-hmm. and you see homeless people staying there begging for a change and their dog next to them. Right. And it's like... <laughs> What are you doing with a dog? You can't even feed yourself. I've actually, yeah, 
I was almost like, I want to get the dog some food or something. It's yeah. like, I'm not going to give you money so you can get high. Yeah, you, you need can, to. You can go do something about it, but you the dog f- can't. You so featured, feed the dog. What makes you think that you're homeless, that you have any capability of taking care of an animal? It, it's insane. And so, I don't get that. lots of addicts have pets. Right. And so, you know, one thing that animals are prescribed along with humans are painkillers. Right. You know, a pet may break a leg or may have surgery or may have some sort of something happen to where the animal will be taken to a veterinarian and the, the animal will be prescribed pain meds. Or they also give dogs Xanax and things like that, like some benzodiazepines. And it, we've gotten to the point now where or some addicts are actually stealing their pet's medication. And once that medication runs out and the person can't find any other means or way of getting high, some people are actually intentionally harming their pets in order to bring them to a vet to get the, 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 the animal prescribed painkillers and other drugs so that they can take it. Okay, that's just the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. That's terrible. I read that in your blog, and I was like, so someone will intentionally hurt their pet so that they can take the animal to a vet, the animal will get prescribed pain medication, and then they take it. That, you know, we know from, you know, talking talking to addicts that you can sink pretty low. That's, that's, that. That's below cockroach level. I mean, that is so low. I almost, it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it's an all new low. Yeah, it is. Completely all new low. And um, I just, I can never imagine hurting my pets. I mean, in any regard, I I couldn't imagine. But, you know, some drug addicts are so incredibly desperate. Yes. When, when, you know, the drugs run out and the withdrawals kick in, the cravings really start, they're completely desperate. Yeah. And, that's like the new societal low that is that we've kind of gone to and that's insanity so veterinarians now have gotten to the point where they have a moral dilemma yeah or an ethical dilemma because so they'll they'll get to know some of these people that bring their pets in yeah um and a lot of times they'll realize hey this person's an addict and probably and their and their pet had some ridiculous there's some ridiculous story of how their their animal got hurt right and now they're here and they have this idea or this notion that this person is probably going to take this animal's medications. But the veterinarian's moral dilemma is like, do they not prescribe the animal medication with fear that the owner is going to take them and abuse them? Right. And that's awful. Yeah. I mean, that's a terrible place for veterinarian to be in. So, yeah. I mean, for <laughs> it, veterinarians, are, I think, are like the one of the most unlikely professionals to have gotten caught up. In the opiate problem, you because think? Yeah. you never think that. No. Apparently, a woman in Kentucky uh, was actually taken into custody and arrested after cutting her dog with razor blades <gasps> and then taking it to the vet oh. to to get pain meds. And it was it was disgust it was oh, disgusting. It's terrible. That's just awful. Yeah, I warned you. If you're listening, I warned you. And um, and so now a lot of veterinarian schools are actually requiring the students to get some sort of training on addiction and spotting signs of addiction, not for the pets, but for the pet owners. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense. And, you know, there's veterinarians out there that have to blacklist people and say, yeah. like, we're not, we, we, we're not going to help you right. anymore because what you're doing 
to your animal is insanity. Right. And of course, the vets can't prove it, but right. you know, like when something comes in and it stinks, yeah, and you, you get you see what's really going on. Yeah, it's like with it, child abuse. They yeah, know. they oh, know. Yeah, he, you know, he fell. I don't think so. No, you know, falling isn't going to get a bruise like that. No, it's 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 yeah. it's. What insanity. did she say? Her dog fell into a box of razor blades. I mean, you know, it's like how could that possibly be? You know, it's it's Ugh, it, yeah, disgusting. it's terrible. It's disgusting. But that that's kind of, I mean, it's an indication of where we're going. It's yes. an indication of where we're at, and it's also an indication of where the opiate epidemic is going. Yep. Um, you put in your blog about opioid epidemic. That there was it 2015. There were more, or 2016. There were more deaths from opioid overdose or opioid use than from gunshots, HIV/AIDS. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? You you put some uh, pretty amazing. It was gun homicides. I there. can't remember. It was gun homicides, HIV or AIDS, and uh, I think it was. Why do I think it was vehicular accidents? I think you're right. I think it was vehicular accidents. I mean, that's just that's telling right there. You yeah, know. I mean, a few. I think it was about nine months ago is when it actually the the statistics actually kind of came down the line and said so heroin deaths surpass gun homicides. Right. I mean that's the that's <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. And um, now we're at the point where opiate deaths are outnumbering highest ever gun homicides, HIV AIDS deaths, and vehicular deaths. I mean that's insane. Also, um. In 2015, which is kind of a plus to a point, it's kind of a double-edged sword, is that was the first year there was a drop in opiate prescriptions okay. that were written. And uh, since, since I think, 1999. Wow. But the flip side of the... So, okay, so that's progress. I'll right. give it that. I will, I will I'll give that kind of validity. We'll take it. I, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. take it. If the, uh, if the prescriptions drop, that's a great thing. So doctors are prescribing less. However, it's still the statistics of the amount of opiate prescriptions written in 2015 were still three times higher than the amount written in 1999. So we're still, there's still a ton of prescriptions coming out. And the thing is, the reason it's a double-edged sword is, okay, so less opiate pills are being prescribed. So what that means is that more people are going to go to heroin. Right. And Mm -hmm. so the unfortunate side of that statistic is that heroin and fentanyl related deaths went up. Right. And so it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of like we get these little gains and then we get these other losses. Right. And we get these get little gains and we get these other losses. And the, uh, the reality is, is that our society is constantly looking for a silver bullet, a magic potion or a quick fix for drug addiction. And that's what it is. And I always said to people, there's no quick fix for long-term sobriety right because there's a lot that goes into getting addicted to drugs it doesn't happen overnight you don't like do drugs once and ruin your entire life it's a progression it's an insidious thing it's kind of sneaks up on you and it progresses and it progresses and it progresses until it's absolutely out of hand and you're kind of look, looking up like how did this happen right and so there's nothing that can fix it like i wrote a blog i think it was a couple of weeks ago that they're actually trying to develop a vaccination for heroin addiction uh, so that means you get the vaccination beforehand and then you can't get addicted to it? Or is it after the fact you do it and then... Because va- isn't a, vaccina- a vaccination supposed to prevent it? Right. So it's both. So the vaccination is going to prevent you from... Wow. Wow. That's so kind of a vac- concept. So it's a vaccination 
to now there's already a vac a type of vaccination out there well it's not really a va- it's kind of a vaccination there's a drug out there called Bivitrol okay okay so it's an injection that a ton of rehab centers out there say you should get after you complete treatment and what Vivitrol does is it blocks your opiate receptors for I think a period like a period of months okay. until it wears off and then you get another injection and you constantly go back for these injections so it that basically it blocks your ability to get high from opiates. Right, but we talked about that and that's not a good solution. No, it's not a good solution because you can get high on a list of other drugs. Oh, right. Okay. So I, yeah. Okay. You can get, I mean, if you can't get high on opiates anymore, you're going to find something else that's going to take the edge off or do the trick or, you know, whatever, you know, you'll find something that tickles your fancy. Exactly. So the heroin vaccination is supposed to, it's supposed to prevent either you ever becoming a heroin addict or once you've already become one, helping you to attain sobriety. And it's in its it passed its first round of testing, you know, a couple months ago, and so it's just like I said, it's just another one of those like quick fix things that's just going to try to like, you know, is be this real easy solution. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get rid of this opiate epidemic, and it's like it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't because there's a lot of work. Like I said, a lot of work goes into becoming an addict. A lot of work has to go into not becoming an addict anymore. Right. And well, so, and the other thing, though, if I can cut you off for a second, the other thing is like you were saying, well, we want like a silver bullet or a quick fix for addiction. That's how people get addicted in the first place, because rather than confront life, confront and handle the issues that everybody has to deal with on a daily basis, right. I want a quick fix. I want a drink or I want a pill or I want to shoot up so I don't have to deal with it. That's what leads into addiction in the first place. Right. So and then once I'm there, then I want a silver bullet to get out of it. So it's kind of like a drug mentality mm-hmm. to think like that. Yep. Because that's how a person got addicted in the first place. Right. So person it doesn't gets, help that it's all over television. No. I would like to get the person that pushed through the at drug ads on TV and have them try heroin. I, I you know, I know that sounds really disgusting, just because that's so evil that that was done. You can't watch a single program on television without seeing a drug ad. Right. All I'm saying is there should, I would like to do something kind of nasty to whoever pushed that through, that legislation through, because you didn't used to be able to do that. Right. You didn't it, used to be able to advertise cigarettes on TV. You can't advertise, you can't can. advertise cigarettes on TV, That's right. but you can advertise drugs and alcohol on TV. Right. People, what's wrong with this picture? There's something majorly wrong. Well, and then people go into the doctor and they go, hey, I heard, you know, about Cymbalta. I want to take Cymbalta. It'll make me happy. Well, all the, dr- all the drug ads say, well, ask your doctor about yes. this drug. Ask your doctor right. about this drug. So now we're at the point, if you think about it, we've been kind of conditioned by those ads on TV to basically prescribe drugs to ourselves. The doctor doesn't have to do anything. Right. You just go in there and say, hey, can I try this? And like, yeah, sure. Right. And they write a prescription for it. And- so it's at the point where we're our own doctors. We're yeah. like making our own decisions on what medications we're going to take because the commercial I saw 17 times in 20 minutes said, I should really ask my doctor about this. This might be the right drug for me. And so you go into the doctor's office and say, doc, give me this. And they will. That's the sick part Yep, is that doctors will give you almost anything. Yep. Now, 
there are still some very ethical doctors out there and there are doctors are totally aware of how bad the opiate epidemic is and refuse to prescribe any opiates and will actually put no i've actually gone to a a doctor's office an urgent an urgent care office they actually on the door it's like we will not prescribe narcotics oh wow yeah I thought that was great. Yeah. So people like know. So before, if you're coming in here just to get your fix, don't even bother because right. we're going to do that. Well, a, a big thing that a lot of addicts will do is go to urgent care clinics. Right. And say, oh, I fell and did this or hurt this or blah, blah, blah. Because back in the day, you used to go in there and you'd walk out with two prescriptions of whatever, you know, whatever right. you wanted. That's right. And now, since all the pill mills got kind of squashed and eradicated, People ran to all those uh, urgent care clinics and the uh-huh. urgent care clinics caught on like, yeah, we're not doing this. Right. And so sometimes, you know, students from the program have to go to the doctor or an urgent care clinic or whatever. And so I've walked in a, a few of them that right on the door, it says we don't prescribe narcotics. Wow. And I thought that was actually really cool. Well, it is cool. And, and, I, and I think I mentioned this once before, but about three months ago, I, I have a bad back. I have arthritis in my back. And I woke up one morning and I couldn't walk. It hurt me to walk. And I went to, I went to an orthopedic doctor in Tampa. And I went to one of those laser spine institutes. And the one in Tampa said, I, you need to do stretching. He said, I'm not going to prescribe painkillers unless you tell me that it is like so bad you can't stand it. And I said, That's, it's not. And the same way with the laser spine guy, he never even offered me painkillers. He said, you know, if it's super bad, you know, we could give you a steroid, we'd give you a shot. But um, both of those, neither one of those doctors wanted to prescribe me pain medication, you know, and I I liked that, you know, because I I didn't want that. Now, the one I saw in California did, uh, he's the one who gave me Norco, but... You know, the main thing I needed at that point was the steroids, which worked fine. Right. And, and, you know, that was the right medication to handle the actual issue. Exactly. Instead of just handling symptoms. See, we became a society of like, let's handle symptoms of problems instead of handling the actual problems. Right. Like, if you have a headache, why not find out why you have a headache versus handling the symptoms? Yeah. Like, are you salt depleted? Have you been out exercising and not taking salt and potassium and said that now your mineral levels are so low that your head hurts? Or do you have, if you're a woman, do you have a hormone issue? Right. Do you know, rather than just popping an Advil or popping an aspirin to get rid of it? But, you know, not get rid of it, cover it up. Handling symptoms is one of the most dangerous things you can actually do. Mm -hmm. Because if you have symptoms of a problem, Mm -hmm. that means there's some sort of problem happening if you just handle the symptoms of something you're not handling the actual issue that's right. so i always think about the guy that's like oh i have this really bad headache and uh, i was gonna take some ibuprofen and he does that and then he, he has these regular headaches and he doesn't do any he doesn't go to the doctor he doesn't figure it out but like months go by he's got these terrible headaches and he keeps taking ibuprofen he keeps taking ibuprofen and you know eventually the pain is so bad you know a year later he goes to the doctor and they do a cat scan mri and he's got this like giant brain tumor right that's the stuff that like, freaks me out right. about just handling symptoms of things because it's like a symptom like a pain or an ache or a whatever in your body is indicating to you that something's not right. Exactly. And exactly. so but that became our it's become our societal it's, norm. It is. It's the mentality it really is. And you know, in my parents' age, it was more just like whatever the doctor says is what you do. Right. But nowadays, it's just, you know, like, give me a quick fix because people are so busy and they don't want to take the time to maybe change their diet, maybe improve something or take certain kinds of supplements that will 
ultimately get them to the point where they don't have headaches or take the time and go in and get a CAT scan and find out, you know, what exactly it is. Some people can't confront health. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the thing. I used to have a huge phobia of like when I get, getting blood work done and getting different labs done at the doctors like, oh, if I find out something's terribly wrong. Right. It's yeah. like, well, someone said to me, well, it's probably good that you find out if something is so you can do something about it it's before true. it gets like really bad. And I was like, Touche. It's true. I, 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 have a, I have a good friend that's a chiropractor, and I remember him telling me about a woman who, you know, let her breast cancer go untreated for so long. By the time she was willing to do something about it, it was too late. Yep. You know, and it, anyway, that's a whole other subject we could get into. But the subject of headaches, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've never had, a, I don't have a history of headaches, but. Between the time I had my first son and my second son, I had headaches. Oh. So I knew that they were related, somehow related to hormones. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. So I wasn't going to go just go get a painkiller or whatever because I knew they would go away and they did. Right. Eventually, you know. Well, but, you treated the actual problem. Exactly. You had a hormonal imbalance. You handle the problem. That's right. Instead of just popping pills to fix it. That's right. But that's where we're at today. That's right. And so with the ads that they push on TV, that's not the only place they're pushed because they're pushed in the doctor's office. Right. A lot. I remember I had niece. You told me. Was that the one where like there were the pictures and the mugs? And yeah. Everything? Yeah. Tell that, me well, that again. was two different doctors. That one was a psychiatrist that had yeah. like, uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the drug. Effexor. It was an Effexor clock and Effexor mug, Effexor pens in the Effexor mug. There's an Effexor uh, pad of paper on the on the table. There was a... Uh, there was a, a few magazines on the front. They featured effects there. And I was like, what is going on in here? And I remember sitting there before the doctor came in, just hearing like the tick, tick, tick of the <laughs> clock. I was like, oh, this is so creepy. And I left with a prescription for effects there. Right. Even though I didn't require it because I was already on a host of other things. But when I had knee, I had knee surgery done yeah. I, in 2000, I think it was like 2003 or 2004. I was, I remember going to the I saw the doctor briefly. He sent me for MRIs. The MRIs came back. He said, you need surgery. Went had the surgery and then came for the follow-up. And this is like when I actually spent some time in his office and looking around. And the, I swear to God, there was like, I think it was like a, a two foot by four foot giant poster on the wall that just said on the top, Oxycontin. And then below it, it said dot, 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 because it works. Oh, my God. I was like, ah, I'm going to get Oxycontin. And I did, actually. Yeah. I actually got low-dose Oxycontin. Right. And I was like, okay, all right. This is weird. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I mean, I was a drug addict at the time, so I was like, great. I got Oxycontin. I can yeah. go sell this for Coke. Right. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was insane because drugs are just everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. They're in our media. They're in the doctor's offices. They're in the magazines in the doctor's offices. We're just almost being conditioned to be just a drugged out society. Yep. Yep. I don't know who's doing the conditioning, but it's out there and it's everywhere. It's absolutely, absolutely everywhere. And, you know, the, the United States, we used to be a very progressive nation. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other countries that have way surpassed their progressiveness as far as handling drug addiction. Yep. It, it, you know, as a you know, in comparison to the U.S. and what yep. we're doing, and you know, I could go into all of that, and then we end up being a political thing. But really, realistically, what it comes down to is there are more drug addicts in the United States than any other country per capita. Per capita. Yep. yep. 
I mean, that's like, there's like 9 billion people on the planet and most of the drug addicts exist in the United States. That's yeah. a, that's like ridiculous. That's insane. We consume more than three quarters of the world's drug supply. Yeah. All the Mexican cartels and all that stuff funnel everything into the U.S. Yep. Everything comes here. We consume three quarters of the world's opiate supply in the United States. I mean, comparatively to the rest of the world, there's not that many people here. That's right. That's <laughs> what I mean, per capita. There's not that many yeah. people here. But we consume three quarters of the world's opiate supply. That's nuts. Yep. That's nuts. Yep. Like the United States has this like unquenchable thirst for drugs. Yeah. And I want to know what it is about our society that is different than anything in Europe or in any other nation. It's it's if you think about it, maybe we have it too easy in this country. I don't know. I don't know that we want to get into a huge political thing, but I mean, you know, if we lived in a country like a third world country where, you know, you basically had to really work to survive every day, Chances are taking drugs would not even be something we would take a look at. I mean, there's, maybe there, we have it too easy. I don't know. I don't know. There's some countries. I, I, I think it's the Philippines or some country out um, out there mm-hmm. or maybe somewhere in Malaysia <laughs> that they'll actually execute you for being a drug addict. Yeah. I mean, that's like, oh, that's a little extreme. There's a, there's a good That's extreme. But like, there's like, I guess they, there's like, they're instilling a huge amount of fear yeah. As far as like, you don't want to use drugs if you don't want us to kill you. Well, you know, <laughs> you can always make the punishment too gruesome. Do you know you can always do that? You know, when you were talking about we're becoming a society that takes pills, did you ever see that movie with Christian Bale called Equilibrium? I don't think so. They all, like the whole population takes pills every day. And the whole thing is to numb them so that yeah. there's like no emotion. Yeah, it's like it's Aldous. A, it's a good movie. It's like Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. Did you ever read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take the yeah. soma pill. Yeah. Well, it's strange. It's strange that there's a pill that you can get prescribed called soma. Uh huh. And this book was written like in the 40s. That's right. And uh, and everybody thought oh, that'll never happen. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a view on a dystopian society. Right. But it's like very odd how that came true because that whole society of people took these. They called them soma trips or soma vacations, and they would just pop these pills called soma and just like go, you know, go off, and yep. that was their thing. Yeah. And but it's very odd. You fast forward. Not only are we a completely pill pill popping nation, yep. but we actually have a drug on the market called Soma, and it's for back it's for it's for back pain. There you go. It's there a barbiturate. Yeah. It's like a um like a quaalude. There you go. It's, it, hey, I got a question for you. Since okay. we're talking about opioids, if there are parents listening, we've talked before about how you've said when somebody when a parent calls me and so they think their kid is on drugs you have them do a drug test right is there a specific drug test that you have to do for opioids if you go to a pharmacy and I always tell people this who don't have any idea of how to anything about or don't know anything about drug testing mm-hmm. if you go to a pharmacy either at Walmart or Walgreens or CVS or you know any pharmacy and you go to the pharmacist and you tell them that you want a drug test, that tests for opiates mm-hmm. and oxy, they'll show you exactly where it is because there's a variety of different tests. You've got single single test tests. You've got something called a five panel test, okay. which will test for five different drugs of abuse. And then you've got seven panel tests, which tests for more, obviously. And so you want to get the, the test that tests for both opiates and oxy that are on it because that way you could rule out or rule in that the person you care about is using an opiate because those are the two opiates because when you do heroin 
it doesn't come up as oxycodone. Oxycodone has its own test. Okay. So oxycodone is like what's then Percocet or Oxycontin. Okay. So you have to test for those two different chemicals. They read differently. Okay. But, but the, opioid heroin would come up. Opioid heroin comes up. So basically on a drug test, you have one panel that says opiates and one panel that says oxy. Okay. So like if you, a person's just taking um, Oxycontin or Percocet and they were to get drug tested for opiates... Won't come up. It won't come up. Okay, but it'll come up if you do oxys. It'll come up if you do oxys, and a person doing heroin, it won't come up as oxy. Okay. So they're basically both heroin and oxycodone, they're all opiates. Okay. But oxycodone's a synthetic opiate. I got it. And so there's a different metabolite that your body gives off in response to those two drugs, and so you gotta test for both of them. Okay. Just nope. to rule it out. What about marijuana? Would that have to be a different test? Marijuana would be a lot of the a lot of the seven panel tests test for marijuana, oxycontin opiates, MDMA, amphetamines, methamphetamines. Okay. And so those are the best tests. So that would probably be like the best thing to do if you're yeah, a parent you re- and you suspect it because unless you've like found some pot or unless you've found some pills, you may not have any idea. You just know that there's something funky going on with your right. family member or you know, what have you. And then if you do like a broad scale test, that's going to catch whatever it is. Yeah. I always tell families, you know, take the test, the test for the most amount of substances. Right. Because I mean, drug tests aren't cheap. I mean, they're about 35 or 40 bucks. Okay. And, but do one that's going to test for a lot of things because you want to be able to rule as much out as possible. Right. And, th- and, and that's it. And uh, also Narconon does sell drug tests. And are the ones that Narcanon sells, are they the ones that cover the whole gamut? Oh, we have a 12-panel test. Oh, okay. I mean, we test for everything. everything. I mean, our test even tests for methadone and suboxone. Wow. And so we test for literally everything. Because we have to, when people come into the facility... Oh, I... Yeah, because it's... Because you have to... You... Yeah. We have to document what they come in on. Well, and you have... And some of them require more of a medical approach than just you know straight withdrawal right exactly yeah. and so yeah. we need to know what's in people's systems when they come in so we can treat them effectively while they're detoxing right and what is your drug test cost that you guys twelve dollars twelve dollars and that's a 12 panel as a 12 panel and so if someone were to pick up the phone and just call narconon and say i suspect my child's on drugs can you send me a drug test there's like uh, no questions asked yeah absolutely right? there's not i mean Anybody listening, if you if you suspect that one of your family members or your friends or what have you are addicted to drugs and you don't know what to do, here's the number to call, 877-339-3324. No questions asked. Give them an address. I don't care. Use a P.O. box. And Narconol will send you a drug test for $12. I mean, it's like, do the drug test. Find out. You know, don't be in mystery because, you know... It's what you don't know that can hurt you. Well, yeah, knowledge is power. Exactly. I mean, with with knowledge and information and data, you can make the best decision possible based on what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, I mean, how can you figure anything out because you don't know what's going on? That's right. And as scary as it would be to find out that your son or daughter is addicted to heroin, it's way scarier when you have no idea what's going on you know there's something going on because you know your child, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, you've lived with your child. And if your child at 13, 14, 15 starts, they have a huge behavioral change that you can't put your finger on, mm-hmm. do the drug test. Find out. Because 
way better to catch it early and then to wait and have tragedy strike yeah have tragedy strike or they've you know they become a prostitute or what have you or but you know or or worse they're overdosing and dying and you know just do that you know when something like that is happening what would be if i were a parent i think we've talked about this before but maybe it's a little different if if my child were taking pills like opioids Mm -hmm. What might I look for? What might I notice? So with opioids, you're going to look for, first of all, lack of eye contact. People who are using drugs and are under the influence, if you're talking to them, they're not going to look you directly in the eyes a lot of the time because the eyes will give away that they may be under the influence of something like pop makes your eyes bloodshot, you know, stimulants you know, make your pupils really large. Well, opiates make your pupils very, very tiny. Uh, no matter what lighting you're in, okay. your, the pupils won't really change. They'll be very like pin. They, we call them pinpoint. Okay, they're very, 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 very tiny. You know, a person will be sleepy, sedated. Um, they do something called a nod off, which you could be talking to someone who's under the influence of opiates, and they just like literally like fall asleep while. They're big conversation with you. Wow. There's uh, itchiness because when a person first starts using opiates, it causes itchiness okay. on the skin. And there's also the uh, there's weight loss. There's you know excessive sleeping, not sleeping enough. Things are going missing. They're stealing. They're losing jobs. They're you know they're getting sick a lot because a lot of the sickness might be withdrawal. Ah, you know those are different things to look for. Interesting. I like to go over and now that. Now, well, something I also have to put out there is when a person first starts using opiates, a lot of times it goes undetected. Right. Because when a person first starts using opiates, they're using low doses. Right. So it's not going to have that huge sedating effect on them that I just described because it's in a low dose. So it's actually going to have more of like euphoric, uplifting effect initially because it's almost going to act like a stimulant to a point. It's going to elevate their mood. Right. Except that if you, most parents... I think the majority of parents, when their kids are little, if they're smart parents, they have a very good communication line and an open communication line with their kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things to really push is to, you know, is to be a safe enough person that your child can tell you when they've broken something right. or, you know, something bad has happened. And if that's the relationship you have with your child, I can just about guarantee you if they start using drugs... They are not going to be as open with you. And if you were to start questioning them, you would all of a sudden find them somewhat unwilling to talk to you. Oh, yeah, exactly. That might be the first way to find it. Right. It's any deviation from normal behavior activity Mm -hmm. is their first indication that something's wrong. And then noticing the different signs that they may be you know, under the influence of the drug is also important so you can actually do something about it. Right. Because right now we're at the point where all, you know, all the opiates out there are extremely powerful. Right. And so people build tolerances to it real quick and it takes a very short amount of time until they're on a whole large dose to get their fix off it. And then, you know, you risk overdose. Right. And so you have to be really careful. And so I'm hoping that people listening to this are getting enough information to feel like they can actually do something about it if and when that, you know, situation arises right because if you're listening and you think that this can't happen to your family you know you need to think again you're yeah it's it's the wrong assumption drugs are not gender specific they are not racial specific they don't care what your religion is they Mm -hmm. don't care they don't care anything nothing i mean i mean addiction can happen to anybody 
from any walk of life, from any background, from any religious persuasion. It doesn't matter. It's completely non-prejudiced. You know, it is completely non-prejudiced. And so if you suspect that something might be going on with a loved one. It probably is. It probably is. And, you know, you could call that 877 number and you could get a drug test for $12 and check it out. Find out. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about it over and over again. You know, I know that, you know, I know if I were, I'm a parent and I know that if one of my kids had become addicted to drugs, I would, if I would really soul search on it. Sure. And, and while I understand that, it doesn't it doesn't really matter like who's at fault if you will you got to fix it right do you know Absolutely. you have to fix it you do and the thing i think that's so one of the things that i think we've talked about this many times and so those of you listening to this first podcast if you go back and listen to the earlier ones you'll hear us talk about this over and over again is that the narconon approach to addiction is like no other approach out there um i you know i i talked to a girl you know, and she said, I, I've got an uncle or, or a brother or somebody or a cousin who's addicted. And, you know, and her viewpoint was that he had a disease. Right. And I said that, you know, it's actually not the truth. You know, it's not the case. Right. Someone who is addicted to drugs as Narconon, as you've told people, is they just have made some bad choices. You right. know, and that's what gets addressed with the program. Exactly. And that's and that's the right viewpoint to take. That and the viewpoint from a parent who's watching something like this happen is it is once addiction takes hold, there is physical addiction. There is also mental and emotional addiction. Mm -hmm. And you may think, oh, I'll just lock him in his room and, you know, let him go through it and he'll be fine. Let him go through it. It's 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 not not going to work like that. It's not going to work like that. And depending on what they've been taking, they can die from withdrawal. Easily. Which is why you need to go through a program like Narconon that knows which drugs do you have to do an actual medical step-down detox that you can't just come in and go, oh, cold turkey, not taking that anymore. Right. And so for those people, we do get them into a medical facility to be tapered down. Right. And then so they're safe. They're through any kind of like thresholds that would be unsafe and then bring them back in. Right. So, and so a lot of families don't know don't know that they don't have that knowledge, right. and so they just like I said, like you said, they they could just lock them in a room and let them go through it. You could actually kill someone doing that, right? <laughs> so you don't want to do that, right? You you if you're a parent and you're listening, you are likely an expert on the subject of your child, but you are not an expert on addiction, and you're not an expert on rehab, right? And so. You know, if you suspect that your loved one is possibly addicted to drugs, do the drug test and then contact Narconon and turn the rehab over to the professionals because it it's not it it isn't an easy thing. No. I mean, if if it were an easy thing there would be no need for Narconon. You guys would be out of business if it were an easy thing to just say say no, I won't take this drug anymore and maybe one, maybe one day we'll just handle everyone that has a drug addiction. Well, well, we'll push it in that direction. <laughs> I think I think we need to do more in terms of, you know, how we handle the whole subject of drugs in the first place. Yeah. You know, I mean, unfortunately, it's not something that's pro- probably ever going to go away. But luckily, there are solutions to it. Right. So. Right. You know, Narconon is, uh, um, it's, it's, it is the best program out there. I'm going to say that right now. It has a 75% success rate. 
it gets it not only gets people off drugs and completely cleans their system of the drugs, but it also addresses the problem for which drugs are the solution. And it's the only one that does that. It really is, you know, which is why it has such a high success rate. I was telling somebody that. And he said, yeah, I'm familiar with other drug rehab programs. They don't have anywhere near that success rate. You know, it's just a fact. So we set a, we've set the industry standard. We have, well, it's not an industry standard. Actually, the industry standard is like a super low success rate. Exactly. Um, Yours it, needs to be. It'd be nice. Narconon's needs to be. One day. You know, the other thing is if you're listening and you just want to get more information, if you go to narcononsuncoast.org, there is a blog there that's got tons of different articles mm-hmm. about all different kinds of addiction and also a lot of success stories from people who've gone through the program. But the other really cool thing that happens when you go there to that website and you start looking at some of those blog postings is a chat window opens up. And it opened up for me again today. And this lovely woman who is actually in Louisiana right now, she mm-hmm. said she's in Louisiana, um, She'll answer any questions that you have. It's completely anonymous. You don't have to say your name. You don't have to say the name of the person you suspect is on drugs. You can just get into communication with Cesara and you can start that step toward help because that's the whole purpose of this podcast is to let you guys know there's help available. Right. There's hope available. Mm-hmm. There is a program that actually works. And I will tell you that the staff at Narcanon have one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to help. Help get people off drugs. Help, help get people off drugs. So we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep talking about it. And we'll be back next week. Maybe we'll have an interview next week. Maybe we'll tell another story. You have to take a look and see if there's somebody who might want to come and talk to us. I'll have to bring a guest again. At one point, I want to talk to your mom. Oh. I really would love to talk to your mom. We could absolutely do that. I think that would be good. They're going on vacation for the next two weeks. Okay, good. When they come back, though. When they absolutely. come back, let's set that up because I would love I would love to talk to your mom and dad and uh, or your mom and just find out. My parents listen to every one of these podcasts. So I love that. If you guys are listening, you're going to be on here. There you it's go. It's just a matter of time. There you go. Okay, <laughs> enjoy your vacation, mom and dad. Definitely want to talk to you when you come back. And... um. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. Until then. Take care, Jason. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 